Okay. This is uh, relatively exciting because it's not necessarily all that important. So let's get right to it. We begin this morning. We begin this morning as the House is about to take up its third vote to expel Long Island, New York Republican Congressman George Santos. The vote is taking place on the floor, probably in the middle of the show. It hasn't started quite yet. And I'm predicting that George Santos will survive this vote. I'm going against conventional wisdom, and I say George Santos survives. It takes two-thirds of the House to throw him out. The magic number, I believe, that we're looking at is 290, give or take a few seats, depending on who shows up today for the vote. So by the time most of you hear this, we will know the outcome. And this is fun because we're going to test my predictive powers. Sometimes I get things wrong, and then sometimes I get things very wrong. So if you listen to this show, you know I've been going against conventional wisdom all week. Conventional wisdom is George Santos is gone. I say George Santos survives the vote. I've been saying all week he survives this vote for two reasons, okay? New York state law demands if Santos is expelled today, then a special election must be held as soon as possible, and he must be replaced no later than 80 days from today. That's if he's expelled. And all polling indicates that a Democrat, a Democrat would win the seat. Okay, and that means the Republicans majority in the House Already, razor thin gets even tighter. As I said yesterday, Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker, now looks, it looks like he's going to be quitting. He'll be out by Christmas. So does the Republican leadership want to be down two votes right when they're trying to pass a 2024 budget, renew Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, that's determining how much the government can spy on you and me and get funding for Ukraine, get funding for Israel, get funding for the border, and most importantly, renew the Defense Authorization Act. So I just don't see Republicans voting to expel George Santos. I think you're hearing a lot of posturing from Republicans who are saying they want to throw him out. I think a lot of Republicans are using this as an opportunity to be publicly outraged by him. But in the end, there's plenty of cover for these so-called moralists. There's plenty of cover for them to hide behind. They can vote not to expel and they have many, many excuses to explain why they voted not to expel. First of all, Santos would become the sixth member of Congress ever thrown out. And he would be the very first to be thrown out before, before being convicted of a crime. Now, in the Senate, you've got Robert Menendez, the Democrat from New Jersey. He's been indicted for bribery, and he will be facing trial in March. Just like George Santos. Santos's trial, I think, is in September. But Robert Menendez, senator from New Jersey, indicted, facing trial in March. They told him to resign. He wouldn't. He's staying put. 
There's no motion to expel Senator Robert Menendez. He's a Democrat. Duncan Hunter, the former Republican congressman from San Diego, was accused, indicted, and found guilty and sentenced to prison for stealing at least $250,000 from his campaign war chest. And he ended up doing time. I think it was back in 2020. But Republicans never threw him out. They never voted to expel him from Congress. He was allowed to serve with all those accusations, with the trial hanging over his head. So why are Republicans turning on George Santos so venomously? How can they stand by Donald Trump, who faces four criminal trials next year, while this year a jury in the E. Jean Carroll defamation suit found him guilty of rape, and the judge in the New, York, uh, the New York State civil fraud trial has already ruled Donald Trump's guilty of ripping off banks, insurers, and the government to the tune of what? Nearly $1 billion, perhaps $3 billion? But Santos must go? Why? Well, Santos is off-brand for the Republican Party. He is openly, flamboyantly gay. He talks about his husband. You cannot overstate the role homophobia is playing in all this. But in the end, and for all I know, I'm being proven wrong as I'm speaking, but I think the GOP will come to whatever senses they still have left, and they will not vote to expel George Santos. I think there's stuff that's being done in front of us, and then I think there's stuff behind the scene, behind the scenes. And I think votes are being whipped in such a way that it's going to be tight, but he survives. Again, for all I know, I'm completely wrong, uh, but that's my strongly held prediction, okay? Here is the math on today's vote. And as you know, I like to predict these things. Sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm incredibly wrong. I've been predicting all week he survives the vote. Here's the math. They need two thirds to expel him, two thirds majority to expel him. They've tried twice before, couldn't do it. So obviously all 230, all 213 Democrats in the House will vote to expel And right there is reason for Republicans to vote to keep them. You never give the Democrats what they want. Of course, the Democrats want Republicans down one seat. And then they get to pick Democrats get to pick that seat up three months from now. There are 222, 222 Republicans in the House. In order to pass the two-thirds threshold, it would require anywhere between 77 and 80 out of the 222 House Republicans to vote against George Santos. It depends on who shows up today or if somebody just votes present. What I believe we've been seeing in the past few days are impassioned speeches against George Santos on the floor delivered by Republicans who are using him as an opportunity to do what they do best, appear self-righteous, while beating up on a gay guy. But there's also an opportunity for these same Republicans to appear magnanimous, forgiving, 
by saying, in the end, they were worried about setting a dangerous precedent. They can suddenly come across as institutionalists who should be institutionalized, but that's a, for another show. It is a win for Republicans to castigate George Santos, but then at the very last minute, like right now, tell their constituents, I prayed on it, and the man has yet to be convicted. It's a dangerous precedent, blah, 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 to deny a member of this body, due process, blah, blah, blah. And as much as I disapprove of who he is, what he's done, and how he chooses to make love for the good of the institution, I voted not to expel. It was a vote of conscience. I had to pray on it. Right? That's how I, I see this going. There's nothing, nothing for Republicans to gain by throwing George Santos out. Why would Republicans do that? Because be, why? Why? They're going to say, oh, we had to get rid of him. He's an embarrassment. The whole party is an embarrassment. There's been no guidance throughout the week from three of the four leaders of the Republican caucus up until minutes ago. Mike Johnson said he would not whip the vote despite this resolution uh, to throw Santos out coming directly from the Republican-led Ethics Committee. Johnson all week said he didn't know how he was going to vote. He urged members to vote their conscience. Vote their conscience? Yeah, good luck finding that. Well, at the last minute, about a half hour ago, Johnson said, He's going to vote not to expel George Santos. Tom Emmer, the Republican whip, still won't say how he's going to vote. And Elise Stefanik, who took Liz Cheney's leadership role after Liz Cheney voted her conscience to impeach Donald Trump. Elise Stefanik all week has been giving no idea, no clue as to how she's going to vote but it now looks like she, too, is going to vote not to expel George Santos, right? Now, the easiest position would have been for the leadership not to show up. But, you know, Johnson all week said he wasn't sure how he's going to vote. Now he's voting to keep him. And this I find odd. This I find somewhat odd. The far-right Freedom Caucus seems to be indicating that most of their members— will vote to keep Santos in office. This I find confusing. Uh, you would think the Freedom Caucus sees George Santos's expulsion as an opportunity for more influence. He's gone, they get more influence. The tighter the majority Republicans have in the House, then the more sway is given to the fringe far-right extremists from the Freedom Caucus. You saw that in the motion for Kevin McCarthy to vacate the chair, right? It, it took only eight Republicans to vote yes, and he was gone. And when it comes to electing a new speaker, you've seen the math. All it takes is four or five Republicans to form a voting block, and Johnson is gone. It's supply and demand. The smaller the supply of Republicans in the House, the more they can demand. Mike Johnson does not want fewer Republicans. He doesn't. He's already way past the honeymoon period. There is already rumbling 
on the far right that Mike Johnson, who is from the far right, has abandoned his core conservative principles by pushing through the current continuing resolution. Texas firebrand uh, Chip Roy, he's one of the mainstays of the Freedom Caucus, he has taken to the floor yet again this week to lambast Mike Johnson for caving into pressure from the Democrats. People like Chip Roy are furious that Johnson is not insisting on 30% across the board budget cuts. Roy is a wrecking ball. He has no hope of ever getting a leadership position. So he's been saying, shut the government down. I mean, he goes back to Texas and gives interviews where he says Congress is completely worthless and we'd be better off without it. Chip Roy says Johnson's trust within the caucus, the Republican caucus, has plummeted. Andy Biggs, the odious Andy Biggs of Arizona, another Freedom Caucus mainstay, said there is growing anger against Speaker Johnson, especially, especially as Mike Johnson betrays his hard right core principles by pushing for funding on Ukraine. This was almost shocking that once he became Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson suddenly was pushing for funding for Ukraine. Johnson said uh, as recently as Monday that he supports funding the war against Russia because, quote, we can't allow Putin to march all over Europe. This is a major betrayal to the hard right for him to say that. You need to understand that Johnson comes from the deep red, hard right, pro-Putin wing of the Republican Party. We are talking about hard right authoritarian members of Congress who are in bed with Putin ideologically and most probably financially. We know that Putin has been funding the hard right here in America. He's been doing it through dark money. And not just here in America. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars that Putin has spread throughout the world to Latin America, Bolsonaro, Orban in Hungary, Marine Le Pen in France, the Netherlands, Gert Wilders, and of course, Brexit, Great Britain. You look at the Mueller report, read the Mueller report. It just wasn't Trump who Putin was interested in. Putin had his eyes on the entire Republican Party, the National Rifle Association, among other special hard right interest groups. We know through the Mueller report that through straw donors, foreign money from Russia being held here in American banks has made its way indirectly to plenty of hard right Republican deep red, pro-government shutdown conservatives. Pro-government shutdown conservatives. Who do you think wants a government shutdown? Vladimir Putin. Who do you think wants America's credit rating downgraded, which happened after the, uh, the debt ceiling crisis in June? Putin wants that. So these members of Congress, these Republicans, these hard right members of Congress don't mind inadvertently taking dark money from Putin. They have plausible deniability, 
But if they looked into it, they would know this money is coming from Putin. They don't mind it. They don't see it as unpatriotic or a betrayal. They agree with him. They agree with Putin. They see Putin as the great white Christian hope for Asia and Eastern Europe. They believe, especially Mike Johnson, that there is a war being waged in the West between Judeo-Christian values and Islam, a war between the secular left and white Christian nationalists. And Putin is on the side of the white Christian nationalists. Putin is an authoritarian who concentrates power, brooks no dissent from the left. He's militaristic. And most importantly, he targets the LGBTQ community. If you're a hard right Republican like Mike Johnson, what's not to love about Vladimir Putin? So it is a major betrayal for Mike Johnson to say we have to fund the war in Ukraine. We can't allow Vladimir Putin to march through Europe. It's a betrayal because there are members of the far right Freedom Caucus. There are members of the Republican Party who want Putin to march through Europe. Donald Trump wanted to get rid of NATO. Remember that? Just today, to give you an example of why Putin is secretly and not so secretly beloved in certain corners of the Republican Party. Today, the Russian Supreme Court, which answers to Putin, they outlawed the LGBTQ movement in Russia. It's been outlawed. The Russian Supreme Court ruled that the global LGBTQ movement is, quote, a terrorist organization no different from al-Qaeda, unquote. That is the official ruling coming out of Vladimir Putin's Supreme Court. And that is music to America's far right ears, not dance music, you know, maybe like line dancing music. So Johnson, Mike Johnson, who once called for the criminalization of homosexuality, who was one of the spokespeople for the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is still filing amicus briefs defending gay reparative therapy, for him to turn away from Putin and vote to send arms to Ukraine, that is perceived as a major betrayal on the far right. So if you're going to see votes against Santos, you would think they'd be coming from the Freedom Caucus. The Freedom Caucus uh, is defending him. Uh, Clay Higgins was speaking for him. Yesterday, it makes no sense to me that the Freedom Caucus uh, would defend George Santos. The Freedom Caucus wants a thinner majority in the House. That gives them more power over Mike Johnson. And, of course, Santos is LGBTQ flamboyantly. Yet, from what I'm hearing, the Freedom Caucus is loath to expel him. And now, Mike Johnson has come to his senses, and early this morning before the vote, he said he is going to vote against expelling him. He told his caucus, vote your conscience, but I'm not voting to expel him. So you have Elise Stefanik and you have Mike Johnson saying that they're 
uh, going to vote to keep him. We haven't heard from the whip, Tom Emmer, because I have a feeling he's too busy whipping votes up uh, to keep him. And now Steve Scalise, House Republicans second in command, said he's voting not to expel Santos. This was early this morning. Scalise said Santos deserves his day in court. Uh, He says Congress should not act first. He said Santos's trial doesn't begin until September at the earliest. It would be wrong to throw him out. And there is a trial in September. To refresh your memory, Santos faces 23 criminal charges alleging he defrauded the government and campaign donors while resorting to wire fraud, filing false documents, and making false statements. So the vote takes place right after I wrap up today's episode. Again, I think it's going to be a mess. I think in the end, it's going to be incredibly tight. I think Tom Emmer, the whip, is whipping the votes in such a way that it's incredibly tight. Uh, But I think... George Santos isn't going away, thank God, because we need him. We need George Santos. Uh, Meanwhile, former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, if he had his way, the next member of Congress to be expelled would be Florida Congressman Matt Gaetz, who orchestrated McCarthy's removal as Speaker. I love this. This makes me very happy. McCarthy will not let this go. And as I said earlier in the week, uh, McCarthy is expected to quit Congress altogether by Christmas. Word is McCarthy is so consumed with rage against Matt Gates that he can't think straight. Now, there are new reports that Kevin McCarthy is telling people Matt Gates should not just be expelled from the House. Uh, McCarthy says Gates belongs in prison. This is getting very ugly. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is not in a good place. During an interview, Kevin McCarthy was asked if the Republican caucus had serious members. Were there any serious members in Congress? And McCarthy, he wasn't being asked about Matt Gates. He said, this is how he gave the answer. He said, you have a cross-section of serious members. You have Matt Gates, who belongs in jail, and then you have serious members Nobody asked him about Matt Gates. The question is, do you have serious members of the, uh, the Republican caucus? McCarthy just volunteered that Matt Gates belongs in prison. This is getting really good and ugly. When told of this, when, when told that Kevin McCarthy said Matt Gates belongs in prison, Matt Gates said, quote, tough words from a guy who sucker punches people in the back. The only assault I ever committed was against Kevin's fragile ego. Matt Gates always gets the best of Kevin McCarthy. He's smarter than Kevin McCarthy because he's more evil than Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy's fragile ego. Matt Gates knows Kevin McCarthy. He knows who Kevin McCarthy is. He knows all about Kevin McCarthy's fragile ego. Matt Gates will not let up on Kevin McCarthy's fragile ego. So McCarthy is in the depths of despair. Here's why. He deserves to be. 
He facilitated Trump's rehabilitation after January 6th. He knew how dangerous Donald Trump is. McCarthy on January 6th was cowering, hiding from the mob. He got on the phone. He screamed at Donald Trump, call off your jackals. And yet hours later, McCarthy returned to Congress and voted not not to certify the election for Joe Biden three weeks later because he wanted to make sure he could still be a fundraiser. Kevin McCarthy flew down to Mar-a-Lago and kissed Donald Trump's ring. Then he refused to participate in the January 6th committee investigation. He voted not to impeach Trump. And yet he opened up an impeachment investigation this year looking into Joe Biden's non existent crimes, while at the same time pushed through a censure of Adam Schiff. Kevin McCarthy is a really bad guy, so he deserves to be unhappy for the rest of his life with a bruised, a badly bruised and fragile ego. He came to Washington to serve himself And all he ever wanted, as Howie Klein said, was to be speaker. All he ever wanted, and he got it. He got to be speaker, but now within a year, he's in the wilderness. He's lost the speakership. He lost the power, the prestige. It's a public humiliation. He's disgraced, at least in his mind, he's disgraced. You got to understand the ambitious mind. There's an ambitious mind out there. It's unfathomable to most of us. But for someone like Kevin McCarthy, it's not good enough to say, hey, I was once speaker and leave it at that. No, he looks in the mirror and only sees the guy who is deposed as speaker. He sees failure. He sees a loser. He sees a disgraced member of Congress because that's Kevin McCarthy's unshakable worldview. Winners or losers. There are only two types of people, winners or or losers. Kevin McCarthy is a high school football varsity jock. And in his world, the way he was raised, there are winners and losers. That's it. That's how the world is divided. And he lost. He's a loser. In his world, he's a loser. He can't see it any other way. For McCarthy, it's all about winning. Winning partly for the Republicans, so long as he's in charge. No matter what the Constitution says, no matter what the crimes, winning for our team as long as I'm in charge and winning for me. He has to win. He has to beat the other guy. And Matt Gates beat him. It's eating Kevin McCarthy alive. He wants retribution, but lacks the tools, lacks the wits. He's not smart. Kevin McCarthy isn't smart. Matt Gates is smarter than Kevin McCarthy. And Matt Gates knows exactly who Kevin McCarthy is and keeps taunting him. Matt Gates is a 
equally bad guy, but he knows exactly what he's doing because he learned at the feet of his evil father, Don Gates, who was president of the Florida Senate. I think it was between 2012 and 2014. Matt served with his dad in the Florida state legislature. That's why Matt Gates is so good at what he does. He's on the phone with his father every day. His dad knows who Kevin McCarthy is. He knows the type. And the two of them, Matt Gates and his dad, they talk every day. And while McCarthy was speaker, they were figuring out ways to get under McCarthy's skin. And they won. And I talked about the ethics investigation with Matt Gates yesterday, so I won't go into that. But this is part of killing the ethics investigation into Matt Gates, And now Kevin McCarthy, who only knows politics, fresh out of college at the age of 22, he went to work for the congressman whose seat he now holds. This is all he knows. And he doesn't know much. Matt Gates knows more. But this is all Kevin McCarthy has. And it's over for him. He's done. And I mean, his life is over. Kevin McCarthy is done. He, he will not, he doesn't know how to figure out how to pull up out of this. What is he going to do? What is Kevin McCarthy going to do? Take a job on K Street and lobby all the people in the House of Representatives who now despise him, who think he's a liar? Yeah. That's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to go cash in on K Street because a lot of lobbying firms owe him favors. A lot of lobbying firms owe him. So he'll get a seven-figure salary, a corner office, and he won't get his calls returned because all the Republicans he supposedly has connections with despise him, don't trust him. And the lobbying group... Whatever firm it is that hires him will know he's not worth the paycheck. And Kevin McCarthy will know he's not worth the paycheck. And everybody Kevin McCarthy talks to knows he's not worth the paycheck. But the firm that hires Kevin McCarthy owes him for a favor Kevin McCarthy did back when he was speaker or minority leader. So they'll keep him around and all he'll do is cash these checks. He won't even come to the office. He'll just stay at home, sitting on the phone in his bathrobe, in his bathrobe, gossiping about his enemies. He'll just sit on the phone gossiping. It's really hard to be Kevin McCarthy. It's not going to end well for this guy. He doesn't, he's not equipped to change. Uh, you don't want to be Kevin McCarthy. There isn't enough money in the world to soothe the assault that took place this year on Kevin McCarthy's fragile ego. He lacks the introspection. He lacks the tools to deal with this kind of humiliation. And you know what? Good. Good. He didn't come to Washington to help you or me. He came to help himself. So... As we head into the Christmas season, never forget that Kevin McCarthy is depressed, alone, isolated. 
and will remain so for the rest of his life. He's in a really dark place. He's staring into the abyss. Everything Kevin McCarthy believed about himself, others, and life has been shattered, and he lacks the vocabulary to pick up the pieces. He lacks the morals to pull a 180 and turn his life around. He can't. He's too stupid. He's too spineless. He's too immoral. Oh, yeah, he'll find religion, but only the type of religion that allows him to dig even a deeper hole for himself, where he doubles down on the very same belief system that got him into this emotional mess. He is doomed. So as we head into this Christmas season, remember, Kevin McCarthy is getting what he so richly deserves. Hold on to that. Savor this. Savor his emotional pain. Take victories where you can. Kevin McCarthy is going to spend the rest of his life in a deep, dark, emotional pain. And you should be happy. You should be happy about this. This is the mop-up for December 1st, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Thank you for finding me. Let me know what you think in the comments section. Are you grateful for Kevin McCarthy's emotional pain? Or are you greedy? Do you want Marjorie Taylor Greene to be suffering as well? Or are you like me, a man of faith, who believes Marjorie Taylor Greene's day will come as well, all in good time? See, I'm a man of faith. And this Christmas season, I believe, I believe Marjorie Taylor Greene is already in emotional pain because I'm a man of faith. I'm a believer. I believe Marjorie Taylor Greene wakes up every morning hating herself, hates the way she feels, the way she looks, hates everyone around her, her new boyfriend, her children, and her constituents. That's because I'm a believer. I'm a true believer. I have faith in the universe. As we head into this joyous holiday season, let's renew our faith that people, bad people like Donald Trump and Mike Pence, all get what's coming to them. Mike Pence kind of already got what's coming to him, right? And Trump, really, how could he be happy? I have faith that Trump is in a world of pain and it's going to get a lot worse for him, all in good time. It's the holiday season when we should be rejoicing in the pain and suffering of others. So let's look at what happened this past year to people like Rudy Giuliani. Shouldn't we show a little gratitude for his pain and suffering? Think about this. Your cup runneth over. God is bountiful. Look at Rudy Giuliani. He has no place to live. He has no money. And he's going to prison. We found out this week that... The Fulton County District Attorney doesn't want to do a plea deal with him. My cup runneth over. 
And don't forget Mark Meadows, Trump's White House chief of staff and founder of the Freedom Caucus. He, too, is broke, broken and staring at prison. Let us count our blessings in this season of giving. Let's give our Lord and Savior some credit for punishing these people. Instead of focusing on what we don't have, instead of focusing on Trump and how he might end up in the White House, uh, focus during this holiday season of joy, focus on all the people this year whose lives have been destroyed. Sidney Powell, Jenna Ellis, their careers are over. They're going to be broke. They're disgraced. Uh, John Eastman, Jenny Thomas's friend, Clarence Thomas's former law clerk, he's about to lose his law license. And he says, and praise Jesus, thank you, John Eastman says he's about to deplete his entire life savings to defend himself down in Georgia. How could you be an atheist? How can you not celebrate this time of year? It is a slap in our Lord's face not to get on your hands and knees and show gratitude for all the emotional and financial ruin these people now find themselves in. Relax, have faith. Trump will get what's coming. He will. But, you know, you have to take a break this time of year and see the beauty in the world. See the beauty. See the Lord's handiwork. Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Kenneth Cheesebro, Sidney Powell, Mark Meadows, Jenna Ellis, and Kevin McCarthy. They are all in deep, deep emotional pain this holiday season. And isn't that what Christmas is all about? They're all alone and feeling sorry for themselves. And for that, I say praise Jesus. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Please like this episode so I remain in your feed. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter and this channel. This program is an audio podcast. Take me with you on your next walk by downloading the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you to everybody in the chat room. There's a poll. I forgot. I had a poll. And that is, do you think George Santos will survive? I just remembered. I forgot to tell everybody. So let's go into our chat room and see how the votes are. Hello, everybody. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Hi, Bob. Thank you. Uh, let's see how many votes we have. We have 670 votes. The question is, does Santos get kicked out today? 39% of my listeners say he survives. 61% of my listeners disagree with me and think he's going to be thrown out. So I guess everybody disagrees with me. We'll find out later today whether or not I'm wrong. I still stand. I don't even know. Has the vote been taken? I don't know. But I still stand by my prediction. George Santos survives. Let's see if I'm wrong. We'll find out.
Oh, have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you. 